And welcome to the Hebrew Media Podcast. I am the daughter of Elysium, and I'm joined by Frank. Frank, how are you doing? Hello, Leon. I I am just a, a weird creature watching from the sidelines everything happening. I um, We have a big episode today, and I thought because it's such a big episode, we might need some help. And last night, I don't really remember what happened, but I just remember leaving a trial, a trail, if you will, of little Benjaminian-sized snacks, and I caught something. And I don't know what it necessarily is, but um, I have this little tech card that I'm going to like dramatically read out loud. <clears throat> Over in this corner, we have someone standing six four foot tall, hailing from Boston, Massachusetts. Right, Boston, yep. Massachusetts. Okay, yeah. Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Nat Flinders and Benjamin wish he was him. Call labor call Kern. <laughs> the crowd goes absolutely mild. That is that would be my intro. My intro okay, music. <laughs> Some people like, you know, hard rock for their ring. Their ring music. Yeah, mine is an antithesis <laughs> to uh, to, yeah. to the establishment. Yeah, which is in this case is weird loops I make on Hell my yeah. computer. Welcome um, back, uh, Kyle. It's an honor to have you as always. As I always. appreciate you both. <laughs> Glad to be here. Um, always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm currently reporting to you from the. Um, uh, ultra liberal cor- uh, uh, corporate retreat center at uh, in in Revishall, and it's <clears throat> it's terrible. Everything's the col- the piss color of champagne. Ever since I'm... the fall of the revolution, <laughs> it's just uh, all these dead ghosts. Am I right? <laughs> fucking. But yeah, uh, we we are talking about the game, <laughs> the game that I uh, just a little peek behind the curtains here, dear listener. I. I started in August. I started doing Happy Media in August 2022, right, Frank? Yes, exactly. And I wanted to do this game in December 2022, <laughs> and there's still a little bit of that version of this of that podcast of that episode that 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 is a ghost that cannot be born and uh, and cannot die or whatever. I don't know. I don't read books, but um, it's it's uh, it's still in there, which was mainly going to be like this this uh anti uh capitalist realism type uh interpretation of it but then if you want that you can go to a beautiful video of like uh someone called k and skittles and this other dude i don't know him probably not important but um they they made a beautiful video about it um and uh that's that's all <laughs> capitalist realism baby and uh, so go go check that out and instead i thought i would get the the whole Benjaminian scholar person here and here to uh, be meaningful about history or whatever. I don't know. We'll see. That's uh, like, it seems like a fun adventure instead. I had to read concept of uh, history for this book, uh, for this episode, which, you know, it's a very easy book, as we all know. It's very accessible. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows what it means. Everybody's in agreement, luckily. There's no scholarly discourse about any of it. So no, that it, would be it's fun. an effort. They're aphorisms. They're super <laughs> short. Yeah, yeah, brief. <laughs> you know, folk sayings, really. No, that's um. But to, to get us started, uh, I uh, I am going to be very arrogant and like monologue immediately. 
like just ruthlessly <laughs> just like you know, plunge plunge this uh, audiographical sword into your earlobes um it's um just 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 dear listen not because i think i'm so important or whatever but uh it relaxes me and opens me up to just uh, flow through the rest of the episode and i just want to front load everything with meaningfulness so um i got a little something for everyone but i guess the general question of this episode is what the fuck is this coalition <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Game Awards of, I believe, 2020. I am role-playing as Harry Dubois to not Google anything and just rely on my very fragile memory of games. <laughs> Two people came on stage to accept the award for Best Indie Game. I never heard of the game and was probably checking my phone until the acceptance speech mentioned something along the lines of, thank you, Marx and Engels, for giving us the political theory to make this game. The mentioning of these two figures squeezed in between Samsung OLED ads and the still ongoing ritual of normalization of crunch culture, drawing my attention back to the ceremony. I never expected those names to be invoked by gamers of all people. So needless to say, off I went to look up, up this Disco Elysium. I will never begin to say what Disco Elysium is, except for the fact that it is a good game. This game understands that the genesis of character lies with other human beings. I believe it's Stendhal who wrote, man can acquire everything in solitude except for character, end quote. And I think we all know that whatever is acquired is worthless without character. And this is the game's task for us. Go out and produce character in the most violent sense of the world. There is no simplistic statement of the liberatory potential of being recognized in the face of the other, but chooses to focus on where this process can take us. You play as a man, an angel of history, and you can be a politic, communist, fascist, liberal. What is fascinating is that this game sits at the enigmatic intersection of the personal, psychological, and social. It does this through engaging with the paradoxical structure of these dimensions, how they are all robust, yet fragile in equal measure. This is all beautifully manifested in our protagonist, who embodies all the above stated elements, and is himself incredibly fragile and robust. Harry is capable of great feats, both physical and emotional, just like we all are. Harry also struggles with his time and place in history, just like we all are. To quote Klaasje, a fellow Dutch person, that was weird. How do you deal with anything? It's all just, how do you do it? How do you move past it? Bad things have the tendency to take up residence inside you, and they aren't paying rent. When I was young, I was obsessed with changing myself. Now I don't even remember how I got here or who I used to be. Having one disapproving parent will teach you to learn how to confound people's ideas of you in your head. I thankfully realized that this just makes me as wise, as irritable, as intransigent, as vindictive. I suppose that's the truth of it. We get to move past these feelings like these. I don't know how to move past it, but it's nice to know we get to. I suppose this Coliseum is, like all good RPGs, what you make of it. So, uh, what, what, uh, what do we want Any, to... Anyone want to start off with anything? Or what's, uh... Wow. Um, yeah, I think just to... You've done a good job. Of, you've done a very good job of introducing the central... The, the difficult parts of talking about Disco Elysium, Disco Elysium obtained a certain amount of popularity after it was released by an uh, independent, basically an art collective, 
what evolved into what became a game studio that began as just sort of like a collective art project that wasn't originally going to be a video game. So the yeah. world was kind of being created and built the cre- the original creators were sort of imagining what exactly the world would be like um, before gameplay was necessarily taken into consideration. And then gameplay or sort of like the the way that the game is arranged, maybe not the way that you play it itself, that was the next thing that was taken into consideration before the development of the game itself, which sounds really funny because uh, it, it is. I mean, you know, it's ambitious. Um, and they're like, yeah, we can make this in two years or three years or something like that. That's how it happened. That's how yeah. this game <laughs> came to be. Pretty much. And it, 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 hap- it happened and it worked. And the reason why all of that works and why Disco Elysium is a really important video game and there's no other video game like it, and probably will never be another one that's like it, is because of exactly what you were describing. This sense of the historical um, as embodied in the extraordinarily subjective position, but without a hierarchy placed um, that emphasizes that pos- subjective position or that the um, a phrase I've been appropriating a lot recently, <laughs> the, the mastery of small worlds overtaking the structural conditions of those same worlds, um, right. which is historical materialism. It's, Marx, it's, it's Marxism as applied in a cultural text in a way that um, yeah, hasn't been seen and probably won't ever be seen again in this, in this way. It's so unique that it makes actually, despite all of the, you go on YouTube, you can find a million, you know, Disco Elysium explains sort of basic yeah. like YouTube videos <laughs> that like you watch them and like it, there are people who played the game and who have an idea of what the story's about and like saw an ending or two and like, but who they, I think those, the way that people engage with this game in the same way they engage with other ones struggle in some ways is because the game itself is much more about um the world that it's in than it is about like or it it just as significantly prioritizes the construction of the world that it's in its relationship to our world because they look really different and they have different names and everything sounds really french or whatever but the like the (laughs) yeah not that's true not all of it um but the it's very european across the board i will say yes that's true (laughs) yeah um but there's a great deal of similarities um between our world and the world that in in elysium as it's called um that makes it an important you know there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it but the best ways to approach it are through some analysis because it evades description in a way that other video games and not in an abstract way but in a like in a modernist way, not to, you know, jump to, you know, <laughs> shouting at the lit crick guy right away, but <laughs> he made a video on Disco Elysium that is really... We will link it, don't worry. Um, great. It, I think people should watch it because yeah. that's one. Of, that's just one of the several different perspectives that you can taste. In this case, the um, sort of l- literary forms and aesthetic choices of modernism, and in this case, he compares it heavily to James Joyce's Ulysses, which is, a, which is almost a perfect comparison um, in the kind of tradition that John's work is in, which is influenced by um, a, 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 a um, 
a, a take on modernism as like a popular modernism and the potential of that as an artistic expression, which is something that Marxists were talking about, um, critical theorists especially were talking about in the first half of the 20th century a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Disco has this quality as like a Marxist text that isn't in any other video game. Because um, it's so sort of like structural in its full entire regard for how you know like from the you know you produce you're producing your own psyche (laughs) and (laughs) and you know picking up all of these sort of affinities and abilities and you know problems too by making decisions and solving this mystery um of a murder and its relationship to a strike um, and that, that's relationship to a failed revolution and a um, ultra liberal counter revolution and so on and so forth. There is, as you said, there's a lot um, to talk about <laughs> so much. And right. I, well, that's exactly uh, what I, um, what I was so perplexed by. Like when I heard, Oh, Marx and Engels being mentioned, um, by really by really anyone during the ceremony i was like <laughs> no i did not hear it right really like okay and then so i expected uh when i was like playing like oh a game by people who are moderately at least in the same fields uh, uh, politically as i am okay that's interesting and i expected it to be approached uh wrongfully i'll wholeheartedly gladly admit uh, i expected it to be approached the same way a liberals approach video games with my point of view is correct and actually everyone else can like go fuck themselves and if you feel stronger either left wing or right wing you're kind of crazy you're kind of like you know like a dog that needs to be put down or whatever really and it's and i was like so um i expected to be like okay there's only the left and that's the only correct way to look at things and that is still there sort of kind of but definitely not in the way other people go about like presenting their uh, ideology or lack of ideology really mm-hmm. and I, I i was just so <laughs> like like you said Kyle, like we will never probably oh not only do we never get any like proper leftist game we will never get it in the artistical way beautifully uh like yeah. rendered into this world that way that this game accomplishes it and i was like so <laughs> the first time i played i was like so taken aback like oh shit they have thought about stuff. That's nice. And we we on the Hebrew Media recently have been complaining a lot about like how there there's this uh, flooding of, of quote-unquote meaningful games. And they are, but they are always deeply personal and psychological. Like think of yes. Last of Us, think of God of War, think f- fuck the social dynamics. There's no culture, anything. Don't worry about it. Those yeah. things are not real anyway. Those people, that's that's for people who have degrees that work at coffee shops. They, they That's not a real thing. And... <laughs> It's just so, this is such a beautiful antidote to all of that, all of that anguish that I've been feeling towards like, oh, are you really not interested in the social? It's such mm-hmm. a beautiful way to to like build your world. It's, it's a great yeah. way to get me interested in this, in this world where we now live in, where we are bombarded with new franchises. Every five seconds, there's a new major fucking franchise and like <laughs> none of it is social. If you're lucky, the psychological gets, gets, gets a little thing. But it's yeah. all personal, individualist. Uh, anyway. I'll, I'll stop there. But that's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What, what do you think, Frank? What, I uh, mean, how... I'll, I'll add to that that <laughs> the 
how in disco the the political, the social, it's so ingrained into everything, like 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 it is in reality Just like real uh, life. and in history. <laughs> uh, fortunately, uh, no. to the point where the the psychological the the unveil the psychological unveiling and reshaping of Harry Dubois is also the unveiling of this world, of his addiction, of his relationship to the people around him, to his past, to his actions, to his function, to who he is. Ergo, history, politics, society, it, it never ceases to be interconnected because it, it is interconnected. It can't be separated. And yeah. to the point that one of the th cool things that this game does with this world is that the, the veneer of ideology in the Marxist sense of this alienating process that masks and covers up so much of, of the actual processes going on is like taken off in in Revachold, in Elysium, so much of like, no, we're, we're, I'm, a, I'm a communist, I'm a Krasnodian communist, or <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a, a rich liberal with a boat and immense wealth and, you know, we, we I kind of control the world. And I that's love, about it. I love you real quick. I love that you can be a communist, a fascist, or a white guy that just watched Whiplash. And it's <laughs> it's you know, it's <laughs> I love that those are the three ideologies that you can like you know, you can either be a racist or you can believe in something social, or you can be like, I need to grind or I need to work harder. That's what that movie was about. And uh I think, I don't know. And it's uh, not the movie was not quite my tempo, but it's it's um I mean, sorry, I, I, I'm indeed like fascinated by uh by how indeed how alienating this game works, it's so alienating that there's an actual alien in it. For instance, that's how that, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, a weird insectoid creature. Um, no, you're you're both right. And there's the Disco Elysium is really a game about failure in all sense of the word, um, because just as you're saying, the um, sort of subjective position of the central character is in always in direct conversation with how the world has been structured around him um, and the results of existing class antagonisms um, that persist despite a lack of an imagination that gives proper space to those antagonisms and gives them the necessary weight to scale them up in some revolutionary sense because there's the memory of successful and then revolution and then successful counter-revolution that hangs like this fog throughout the entire game to where you have to deal with, and very similar to our contemporary period, yet surely none of this will sound familiar, a revolutionary <laughs> mo or especially not familiar to someone who is in Estonia, um, a revolutionary moment and i mean one of the it's interesting the case of estonia i don't know a lot about estonian history but i know a little bit and i know that estonian independence came around there was a vying for between germany and the emerging new soviet bloc um that estonia i don't I, is estonia established its own national sovereignty um around the same time as the russian revolution so you have this like interplay of uh you have this sort of like on standing on both sides of the emerging iron curtain in a way that's probably interesting to someone who knows yeah. more about estonia than me. <laughs> but uh, the uh, um 
the backdrop of revolution kind of hangs around not in this either in this um sort of ambitious imagined sense um but lar but mostly in as this kind of um reminder of the it like the the reminder of its own lack of possibility in the present moment considering it has come it's past it was successful and then it was successfully finished um and that <laughs> yeah. moment's over um it reminds me of this there's my sort of main takeaway from disco elysium has always been within the context of a particular historian named enzo enzo traverso who has written a lot of books but <laughs> recently has talked about he wrote an intellectual history of revolution and he wrote a book about left-wing melancholia both of which i think are yeah um in direct conversation i want you know, i want to show this italian man this video game <laughs> to see what he thinks um because his books correlate so perfectly with the overall tone of the political world of Elysium um, mm -hmm. because and I probably have a good quote here Ooh. I think sitting in my lap six, six, um, yeah um, he's really particularly interested in the way that our understanding of revolution um, changed within the 20th century how it became something that was um, for lack of a better term militarized and about sort of organized arm uprising and since that has largely ceased and that the sort of militant armed uprising in the Middle East, for example, has moved from a decolonial liberatory one to a more religious, um, a religiously oriented one. Um, and how sort of the revolutionary imaginations of um, Western countries have moved away from the uh, parties and the party politics um, of the um, early 20th century through their sort of struggles in World War II um, and now have been in many ways kind of absorbed by their sort of original social democratic opponents or, you know, obliterated altogether or yeah. whatever. Um, this, pa this is a passage in um, revolution and intellectual history that I think is really relevant. As Traverso says, the left seems to have completely deserted the terrain on which it had over the last century accumulated considerable experience and recorded numerous successes, the armed revolution. This field is now entirely occupied by Islamic fundamentalism, which through an impressive historical regression has substituted Sharia for anti-colonialism and national liberation. That's broad, but it's true largely. Mm -hmm. The experience of 20th century communism in its different dimensions, revolution, regime, anti-colonialism, reformism has been exhausted. The new anti-capitalist movements of recent years do not resonate with any of the left traditions of the past. They lack a genealogy. Um, and, you know, th that lack of genealogy, I think, is in a lot of ways on purpose. In the way in the United States that I come up with, I think, of the anti-globalization movements. That's probably partly because of my age, um, <laughs> but also because of its influence on things like Occupy Wall Street. Um, yeah. The sort of uh, uh, decentralized, um, reactive... Um, protest movements um, or social movements or sort of the um, um, yeah, the um, WTO, Hart and Negri kind of empire 
yeah. formation, which has validity in its, you know, sort of abil ability to raise tension or whatever, but does, uh, Travisa points out an interesting sort of problem of contemporary left-wing thought, which is that we have to grapple with this um, persistent sadness of futures that were lost, um, which is something that kind of revolutionary mourning that's been utilized by um, left-wing thinkers in the past, um, not fully rejected, rejected in the case of Benjamin for him, who is yeah. influential on him, re rejected in the case of, uh, uh, rejected as affect, um, mm. uh, you know, removed of its politics, removed of its sort of potential. Um, and instead, you know, this, I think he borrows this in part from Wendy Brown, um, this kind of, you know, reflect persistent reflective position. Um, and you know, that's, yeah, uh, uh, has nothing to do with this game and this game has nothing to do <laughs> with sort of that, you know, the struggle, the, the struggle to imagine despite failure in the pain, you know, all, all of that stuff anyways. It's, it's, uh, well, I do think there's like, once again, this game is chock full of one ghost of histories that never happened. And it's, it's perfectly, uh, <laughs> just as a fun side note, I, to what Carl said, I, I sadly don't remember the guy, but there's this, like, um, this, 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 uh, autobiographical line of, um, of this leftist journalist that went to China and was talking to a Chinese communist and the Chinese communist asked like, okay, well, how big is the army of the American communist party? And the guy said, like, I didn't have the heart to tell him that the communist party in America was two fats in a trench coat pretending to be a communist and yeah. <laughs> that that's the army. And so this, this, uh, we, we just talked about this, Frank, uh, didn't we at the end of utopia about how we did like post, um, French revolution that this changes this idea that utopia is something that needs to be fought for. And uh, I, I do think it's very relevant uh, to, if not directly in the game, definitely, <laughs> I'm sorry for using this word seriously, but definitely the vibe of this game. Um, <laughs> Vibes-based leftism is the only correct interpretation of uh, leftism. And uh, I, I will die on that, no, skin. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I do think that that's definitely something that's present in this game. I am curious to hear if... What what roads? Uh, how many times did we play it, and which roads did we take? Uh, what did we role play as? Uh, <laughs> uh, what is what's the count? I'm curious. I I've only played through the game in its entirety one time, um, and I finished my full kami oh, playthrough, yeah. um, alienating everyone around me <laughs> um, by saying all of my politics in a weird way. Um, yeah. With like a, um, I also uh, paid heavy attention to encyclopedia related everything in the game, so I could uh, pump out as much lore as possible. Of course. Hell yeah! Which which also made me really uh, 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 socially functionless, um, <laughs> because that's one thing that I like about the game is that it, the way it like honestly constructs um person your personality in a way that like doesn't it's not trying to be nice to you it's like look you're really smart but people don't like you <laughs> that much i i it's, it's what you guys uh you and k also fell over in the video uh, that we will also link in this episode i'm so sorry frank um that's um 
uh, the description of uh, what they said again, Menso Koravian, uh, men- hold on, uh, Krasmazovian communism. Krasmazovian communism. I'm so sorry. Krasmazovian uh, socioeconomics, I believe it is. And it's. Um, yeah, Mazovian socioeconomic thought. <laughs> <laughs> and you, in the description of that is like, you feel like you have an advanced university degree in truth. And it a is- very smart boy with a university <laughs> degree in truth. I love you're a very smart boy with a yeah. university degree in truth. That's one of the, I'm so glad you said that. That's one of my favorite lines. It's, it's the best. And because it sits at this beautiful intersection of I'm mocking you, but we I'm mocking you through a process of be, you being seen because I went through that same shit. And yes, we do have this like uh, every time something in the world happens, we, we as leftists can kind of go, well, told you so and that's <laughs> and that, that's kind of like almost emotionally alienating like well yeah mm-hmm. we 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 do see the truth but like you know like kind of like cassandra in in uh in greek myth you're kind of cursed with this truth because nobody's listening to you and this is this perpetual thing that um like just generally how this game interacts with ideas like you said it's it's, it's beautiful it's is then also an amazing choice that this is a detective or murder mystery game. Because detective, as you look at uh, the narrative functions of detective, how they function literary, it's literally a coming together of ideas, information, and so forth and so on. Which is, ironically, kind of how the world works, maybe? I don't know. I wouldn't be that bold. But <laughs> it's, 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 it's um, that way you can roleplay directly with communism, fascism, or once again, white guys in their 30s that has just seen whiplash it's it's you know and i think that's just something that's never been done or such a potent execution of detective fiction that i personally have never seen uh you know i don't know about you guys but <laughs> you should read china mayville uh, yeah it engages much. with the genre with the genre we, uh, um, in a way that um is perfect yeah uh, we have City in the City planned for, uh, I believe, what did we, July? Because that's when the book comes out with fucking Keanu Reeves, which is news that fucking hit me over the head with the mallets. I did not see that. I, I Like five different group chats pinged all at the same time <laughs> when that tweet <laughs> went out. It's like, bing! Yes. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> oh, it's... Um, I, I think... Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, go on. No, go on. I, I think that's really interesting to bring up the detective because... To pull from my 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 <laughs> literary history bag, uh, the detective genre is really interesting, and I, I like. I think Borges is, is the, the main conceptualization of it. That it doesn't the detective story doesn't create just a genre, but it creates a reader. And if we're mm. thinking about how Disco Elysium is not only uh, <laughs> it is this political narrative where you are making yourself in that world and you're you know, comparing yourself and placing yourself in that or finding the analog to what you already believe or yeah. want to believe in the real world. Um, the detective narrative adds a further element where you're reading the world and reading yourself and then reading yourself and reading the world in like a, a an ongoing, not even just a loop, but a spiral mm-hmm. uh, where you keep doing those readings. And we, it is brilliant to do it if I had a detective story because it, it fundamentally asks you, pay fucking attention to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it kind of isn't. And by usual detective narrative standards, 
the solution to this one is cheap uh, in terms of structure, but it really isn't in terms of the narrative and the purpose that the detective as a mode is fun- serving in this story. It is working as a, a way to, a- to engage with the world and to be present in it. That it's not just, oh, who could have done it? But it's like, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck am I? <laughs> it, it, it's almost like you making yourself as detective is uh, <laughs> I've not I've seen quite a bit of interesting detective ideas and creations and stuff and I've I've yet to read City in the City so that's that's on the list but mm-hmm. one where you're literally making the detective and the detective is like a mold is fucking genius like I uh, it's impressive because it's not just oh it is this straight edge detective which will solve the mystery this Holmesian figure and it isn't just this loose uh less committed but strangely engaged with um with politics and with the crimes and the criminal like a um colombo andrea camilleri's uh inspector montalbano v- mm-hmm. very good de- italian detective fiction it's brilliant I-, I recommend to everyone and i've said this before but it's been a while uh or others like um massimo carlotto's uh crocodile I, I think that's the name. I've not read. I've read some of his other short stories. Um, also really good in like twisting the detective further. But this one, it doesn't just twist or it doesn't just shape it in one way. It's like, you know, you know, when you start grasping what this is, like, oh, it's a detective. You have ideas of what a detective is and you're shaping it in that world. Mm-hmm. And when the world is like, yeah, you're a detective. But also, what, the, what do you believe? How do you yeah, feel a- about this world? It's not like a virtuous position by default, right? Which yes. is the problem with like, it made me think of like how noir fiction can be extremely reactionary. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Or the the like central contemporary noir figure for culture right now is bat. It's fucking Batman. Like right. Batman is the most popular noir detective construction that is still something that people look at or whatever. The genre has been like played with by, um, at the very least, people who's stuff they make is popular with conservatives or people who outright identify as things like libertarian like frank miller or whatever but go listen to our uh horror vanguard episode episode 303 if you want to hear more about that (laughs) episode 303 yeah we uh we talked about uh adam west batman and how batman that's right so but please go on sorry no no first of all always be plugging um (laughs) always abp always be plugging um but uh, speaking of, we, it, we talked about Batman fiction a little bit on Agab, um, and it really got me thinking about the um, construction of a character who is good despite the good, the good, noble, virtuous character who exists and makes the good, noble, virtuous, difficult decisions despite their own personal flaws. And, beside, but, and besides the... Um, you know the the means the means necessary to accomplish their goals which are ultimately good for everybody but also good for themselves they're selfish but they're not they're you have some sort of a you know maybe some some kind of a personal issue or any number of personal issues or traumatic experiences but they ultimately um put those towards you know a radical good end these enlightened perfect individuals you know end up in coming and saving the day um, when <laughs> yeah, Disco Elysium's 
central character i mean there is a you know uh, there is sort of a hero detective in the story but it's not you yeah um <laughs> it's de- it's definitely not harry dubois is like he's not just like an empty character he's has all of all of this actual character built into him but which sounds really haunting him yeah yes exactly yeah. he it, it's it's spectral and so you're tasked with sort of building up what it means to be that character as you're dealing with these sort of like haunting images wiped out by trying to, you know, melt your brain with alcohol, um, trying to just completely annihilate yourself in the ways that the sort of whispers of your personal life kind of control the way that you think and, you know, potentially can gauge your reactions to certain situations. And in this case, you the way that you act as some outside party in a rapidly escalating social conflict where there's a dead body in a tree um and where there's all of these people who are sort of many of which of whom are armed who are ready to like they're who are pretty much at each other's throats as a result of the conditions of the world that you live in and the fact that you live in a neoliberal shithole um, because you really do. It's the, like Ravishall is so interesting because yes. they they're so smart. The way that they took, they created this kind of like tax haven for neoliberal assholes and used the conditions of that environment plus the strategic location of something essential to production, having it be in shipping and having it being in logistics is. It's it's oh it's beyond perfect yes. because the yeah. stakes are so high, the amount of money to be made and to be lost, um, and then the conditions that workers find themselves in this dock workers union that like the stuff that they've gone through, and the you know sort of pennies that they've taken off of the dollar, the like you know the way that they've been pushed around, um, and the again you know the pending tribunal. If you will, <laughs> and depending on how that goes, depending on the decisions you made throughout the game or whatever, um, are so impactful. Yeah, and it all centers on you. This, like, you're just some asshole who has ended up <laughs> who can't even remember how he, who's you know, kick, who can't find his right shoe, <laughs> and who's like. The maybe the best part about Disco Elysium, honestly, from this kind of like subjective character character building perspective that we've been talking about, which is you know everyone talks about the politics and it's important, but this is just as important. Uh, yeah, I think maybe yeah. maybe the best like the what the best descriptive tone of the game is in the very beginning. How um, uh, <laughs> the uh, the spoilers for the first three minutes of the game, where <laughs> if you turn on a light switch, it can kill you. Yes. <laughs> or reaching for your tie off of a fan you got to turn the fan off first because if you don't you'll get you'll have a heart attack and die because you're so fragile and in such a horrible place in such a horrible condition and like this is the starting yeah this is you know not to use a you know like an aa cliche or whatever but rock bottom i think this is this is this character's rock bottom yeah Uh, and yeah it engages with like this idea like well when you hit a rock bottom you can only go up and even though this is very tired like almost inspirational poster hanging in some kind of workers cubicle or whatever type quote it 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 is once again kind of what you make of it and it is good psychologically i would argue to remember that 
yes, as much as shit sucks, you can make a difference now if you want to. You cannot do that bad thing, especially. I am not qualified to talk about the challenges of alcoholism, which is also, once again, very, I think, very like meaningfully uh, portrayed. Mm-hmm. Once again, not qualified to like de- go into the uh, psychological elements of it, but it starts with saying no. And to get out of that very deep hole that you can dig for yourself through alcoholism. And this, I would humbly argue, is structurally kind of related to acquiring some kind of class consciousness as well. I, I know I'm dangerous with overlapping here a little bit too strongly, but I would argue like being just re- reflective properties on things is good. And it's really rare to find it in a fucking video game of all things, sadly, I must admit. And another thing that you said, which made me think of, uh, fuck, it's, it's if, you're, if you don't have class consciousness and if you don't, if you play the game like a gamer, I guess, um, then you just kind of end up being pu- pushed around by effort and uh, Joyce Messier, I believe, for what's her name? Mm-hmm. Yes. The uh, uh, pine lady, whatever it's called, uh, wild pine. Uh, lady, they just push you like around because you kind of go there and expect a fetch quest because that's how you've been conditioned to approach video games. So at mm-hmm. any point in time in this fucking game, the game embraces the potential to be reflective and make you think about literally anything at any level, and that's like almost peerless achievement. I would I would argue humbly. That's uh... yeah. When you uh, um, aspire to the highest level of left-wing political thought in the game, the game says that you have made yourself very sad. <laughs> and I think that's a really important, like, that's that that's that tie-in between the sort of subjective progress of the central character and the um, sort of the, the existing world that that character lives in, um, sort of sifting through these, like, untouchable moments in the past both personally and politically um is really wild it's really wild to think about it because you can't you can't even get to like you can't not only can you not have one without the other but you can spend so much time focusing on one and then like the disco elysium as a game the history in the game is this kind of almost revolutionary composite image thing that grapples with like the political consequences of everything from the european revolutions of 1848 to the paris commune in 1871 to the interwar period to everything leading up i mean the german revolution is probably the best example it's like it's kind of a it's kind of a like what if the german revolution was kind of successful which i know is just that's kaiserreich the (laughs) hearts of iron hack or whatever but like it's it's kind of has this you know these it it has this sort of this history that is about the sort of conditional qualities of a particular moment and it posits the idea that something could have been successful in those conditions i think it was in the case of the game for six years was the um commune of revishal and then but it like the game is not in its political position and this sort of like goes back to your original point which is this like it's has this kind of like 
forced perspective that it gives you. It doesn't give you the answers to the political problems of its current moment. It embroils you in them. Mm -hmm. It just kind of dumps you in. It mixes you up a little bit and forces you to figure out how to be a person within all of that. Like, you know, after you've been, as the game says, made sad. Because when you, <laughs> there's a point in the game where you've done enough, like, and I'm assuming this is how it works, where you've done enough sort of certain dialogue options or you hit a certain progress or whatever, and it decides that you've heard enough and it's time to, as the game says, fire up the big communism builder, <laughs> uh, which which is so funny and uh, so perfect in this. Like, it's a very it's very much an extension of like when you um, select all of those options and you find yourself, you know, with your, you know, you as a very smart boy um, with a lot of really smart ideas. When you fire firing up the big communism builder, it it has all of this. So it's it's obviously telling you. It, it, I think that's believe when the part says that it's about the big communism builder is about failure, and is about dealing with the idea of failure. And at the end of it, if you kind of sort of like drag out the dialogue in that portion of the game, you eventually get to a part where it says to you that you maybe should try and be a communist because it's impossible, or because you can't imagine it as a political possibility. Um, and that's a really like remarkable idea for you. It's so easy to kind of be a weird, like regressive partisan, like a part a, a partisan for parties that don't exist anymore, which is yeah. like not something that like I mean it's always existed offline, but it's very it's <laughs> like there's weird sort of Maoist cells all around the United States that like to like you know disrupt dsa meetings or whatever i don't know what all those people get up to don't come yeah. find me uh but, but like you know god bless them or whatever but there's this sort of like self-referential like small world myth making that can happen in our sort of like contemporary idea of what being left wing or right. you know the idea of leftism these kind of like abstract ideas that don't have that no longer have fixed definitions as they used to, which is like I was mentioning Traverso, that's part of the problem that he addresses in some of his work, or some the, the problem he at least points out, which is the idea of like revolution is a meaningless word. Now, he, I believe he says Apple puts out a new phone every year and calls it revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a really good example. That's the kind of sort of, you have a realization that all of these words and all these ideas do have significant meaning, but that their meaning has passed. Um, and it's like coming, you know, coming to the party years after it's been over and figuring out like, what do I do in this room? You know, by myself, <laughs> not by yourself, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And yeah. I don't know where I was going with that composite revolution. <laughs> no, something I, I I find very interesting. Uh, yeah. Just real quick on the last thought I want to say about Ravishol. Uh, sorry, Frank. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's part Paris, but it's also part. Uh, and this sorry, this doesn't make any sense to people not from Europe. Maybe I'm so sorry. But there are more cities in France actually than Paris. I don't know if you, anybody knows this, but um, there's this city <laughs> called Marseille, and mm -hmm. it's uh, the second largest uh, European port yeah. in 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 Europe. Uh, Who's the first you ask? Yeah, that's 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 us. But doesn't that doesn't matter anyway? Um, it's yeah, capitalism. But it's it's uh, I love all the creatures being killed because we keep expanding our harbor. But uh, besides that, it's <laughs> I'm so sorry, dear listener. It's it's part Marseille and it's part Paris. 
Yeah. And it's uh, that I find so fascinating that despite it being very French with a harbor and this capital city that just like a sponge in a very shallow pool of water just sucks everything to it like Paris does, um, even more so than I would say London in, in the UK. But uh, it's, it's the most like aggressive city in in a national sense in, that we have in Europe, Paris, I would argue. But besides all that, I do feel that echoes throughout Ravishol a little bit. But yet, besides that, I do find it the the, the European character of it, this, uh, as a European, I'm so sorry, kind of interesting because we have Frenchness all over the place, but mm-hmm. it doesn't just stop there. It also has these these this church that you spend a lot of time in is this Baltic type, uh, like Google the Church of Uppsala, for instance, mm, which is a Swedish yeah. church, but True. It's, it's it's very interesting style of architecture that just sits there. And in, in, you can see it in this beautiful uh, water painting type opening that you have when you boot up the game. It's it's uh, all very interesting. And I think this game is so strong because it is made by Estonians, maybe. Because Estonia sits in the very interesting... I'm so sorry to keep on going on about geography here, but I would argue it's important. Um, yeah. it's, it sits in this very interesting region in the Baltic uh, Sea. The Baltic Sea is uh, below Scandinavia to the west of Russia and northeast of Germany and Poland. So it is the smallest of the smallest of the smallest region economically, population-wise. And it has these major powers and financial infrastructures in both the World War II sense, but also nowadays in the neoliberal capitalist sense surrounding it. It's, it, it is the residue of like so many hopes and not being able to have this robust identity. And then you have to share the space with Lithuania and Latvia as well, which is two other nations of equal size. So, and that you have, depending on the point in time, a contentious history with, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that it was a Lithuanian-Polish Commonwealth, not a Lithuanian-Estonian uh, and Polish Commonwealth, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's, uh, <clears throat> besides that, I, I do what Carl said. I was reminded of, uh, as, 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 as sadly as leftists always are, of capitalist realism, where um, since since Carl quoted something, I'm going to do it now as well. I'm so sorry, dear listener. Um, but, <laughs> quote, um, on the left's vices, uh, one of the left's vices is its endless rehearsal of historical debates, its tendency to keep going over Konstadt or new economic policy rather than planning or organizing for a future that is really that it really believes in. The failure of previous forms of anti-capitalist political organization should not be a cause of, for despair, but what needs to be left behind is a certain romantic attachment to the politics of failure, to the, uh, to the comfortable position of a defeated marginality. And my God, if that's not something that the game hits you over the fucking head with constantly <laughs> by... I admit, I sometimes also romanticize union politics, I admit, because it's very much ingrained uh, into a, what I'm trying to do nowadays for work nowadays, yeah. and just how I view a more realistic way of bringing, out, uh, bringing about a leftist society, a leftist political organization. I think unions are a unmissable point in any of that. And I <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I found it... Um, uh, uh, just once again, just like how Capitalist Realism says when it starts talking about uh, Badieu, I believe, who says um, uh, Badieu has forcefully insisted an effective anti-capitalist um, 
uh, effective anti-capitalism must be rifled to capital, not a reaction to it. There can be no return to pre-capitalist territorialities. Anti-capitalism must oppose capital's globalism with its own authentic universality. And I, my God, how many of us, me included, once again, I'm not trying to berate anyone. I'm right here with anyone. Uh, how many times I forget that there is a capitalist living inside me? Because of course it is. Because how can it not after all this time and all this indoctrination that we're experiencing? And I, I thought that was uh, very beautiful of the game as well. Yeah, there's, it's this kind of struggle against the Marcusean point that Fisher was, I think, trying to re-articulate toward the end of his life mm -hmm. in the introduction to Acid Communism, the book that he didn't finish, mm -hmm. um, that has this, like, there's this indebtedness of our contemporary moment to, for example, the thought of the 1960s and the 70s, and not mo mostly not in a positive sense, although in some cases in, like, political philosophy and theory, a lot of stuff from that era still remains really relevant, but mostly in our characterization of the last, in this case of the West, the last truly like revolutionary moment, um, even in when it went really, it, things got really nasty and violent in the 1970s, um, there was this kind of sense of a new world coming to quote, you know, Mama Cass, um, <laughs> that there, and that it's just around the bend. Um, but in, act in actuality, what was happening was a an, a reconfiguration of the sort of very forces that gave rise to the things that thinkers like Herbert Marcuse was, were talking about. Um, the one thing that I always think about that is that characterization of the sort of like, and I'm doing American cultural imperialism by accident, I apologize, <laughs> and just sort of projecting the American experience on everywhere else doing the work of cultural imperialism for it which you know plays into the you know the tiny fascist in your head or whatever <laughs> um but, but uh there's in in the case of the united states especially there's this understanding of antagonisms between what we can broadly call the new left of the 1960s and organized mm -hmm. labor for example where that is culminates in events like um the hard hat riot in New York City in 1970, um, which was when a uh, protesters, um, student protesters, after the the shooting, the massacre at Kent State, um, where uh, Vietnam War protesters were shot by the National Guard in Ohio, um, there was a sort of organized labor was in its membership, un not necessarily as decided as being pro as decidedly pro Vietnam war one as historical memory kind of dictates it or two as their leadership were as, and the political connections to their leadership, their leadership that eventually went to the Nixon white house. Um, uh, for example, but the hard hat riot is, and it was a Vietnam, it was an anti Vietnam war protest mixed with a sort of response to what happened at Kent state where construction workers, um, it, like att attacked protesters basically and occupied a city building. Um, and that's sort of the chief kind of historical image that's used to sort of characterize that period. But what often gets lost in that period is the way that those social movements for things like, you know, uh, you know, 
uh, uh, racial advocacy groups and um, advocacy for uh, the protections of minority groups and women and sexual minorities um, themselves have a sort of indebtedness to, um, at least in the United States, uh, the, everything that came in the early 20th century with the, you know anti-war movements and freedom of speech, many of whom were vagrant workers associated with the early days of the IWW, um, who were cultural figures in the same way that all of these people in the 16, 60s were. The point is that Joan Baez you know, got up at Woodstock and sang Joe Hill, and she did it for a reason, which is that it's not history is not always closed off to you. It has this sort of like um, history is much more sort of energetic um, in a sort of in a literal sense, not a literal, in a literal sense, but in, in a, you know, in, the, in a behavioral sense. It functions much more as this sort of like energy that's built and harnessed and utilized in various places for various purposes and in various forms, too. We don't, you know, energy doesn't always look the same way no. um, in the way that we harness it, but you know, it functions as a particular in its particular use in those various contexts in the same way. It's power. Definitely. And so yeah. you have this like re you know, I say all of this in relationship to Disco Elysium because there is this sort of kernel of like possibility that exists in this game. And something that I've been writing about recently, trying to finish certain project projects, um, is Google. about f- history as this sort of like i use a metaphor of a film a german expressionist film called al goal which is about the this alien creature that visits a miner and gives him a schematic for unlimited energy it eventually results in his downfall and he becomes this sort of like you know a global authoritarian kind of figure but like loses himself and his family and everything in that whole process but i always found that really interesting this idea that the solutions to our problems often come from outside and feel incredibly alien, but are ultimately very intimate in the world that we live in, as in the world of like the production of energy or the shipment of goods from one place to another place. And how should we find some new way of revolutionizing or sort of generating this energy or this the, the, this sort of abstract idea of like like generating possibility i guess is what i'm saying um how that's present historically and it you know historic does the historical production of that it goes away it dies it changes but then you know there's always this possibility of something emerging from the outside to give you the tools that you need um to address the problems at hand um and that's where sort of like revolutionary hope, um, you know, the idea to, you know, fire up the big communism builder because it's impossible um, means like, oh, so there is like room for the quote unquote impossible in contemporary politics. I truly do believe that. Am I as hopeful as I was, you know, five years ago? Fuck no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one is. Am I as hopeful as I was 10 years ago? I don't know. Probably not. I'm 10 years older than I was 10 years yeah. ago. It's hard, but at the same time, it's not an emotional position. It's an intellectual position. Yes. That possibility remains present. It's a philosophical one too. Um, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't believe that I'm so, I don't, I don't see myself as so central on my, on my subjective position as to not believe that there's anything outside of that subjective position, but rather the world is sort of opens it up, opens itself up to us. Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no, but I, I, that, that's, that's exactly it. It's very tempting to quote once again, Mark Fisher, who talks about like, oh, this moment should be seized and so forth and so on, which is why Devil's Realism is a very influential text. But I promised Kyle to talk about uh, Benjamin. So I, instead, I will talk about in equal measure uh, what I think everything you said sounds extremely Benjaminian, uh, as, as we all should sound, I think, <laughs> in my humble opinion. But that's um, to indeed acquire this revolutionary character again. I think is something that uh, in the concept of history um, is something Benjamin talks about a lot and I find endlessly fascinating yeah. and was deeply recognizable for me in my humble opinion in this game about how, uh, at the risk of being very pretentious here, dear listener, uh, in yeah. so many ways, <laughs> Harry Dubois is history. It's in, it is something that needs to be understood. It needs to be, uh, uh, it needs to be, once again, renegotiated. And from this, History can function in a, what I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but history can function in a messianic way to give us our revolutionary character again. And I, I, I find that, I find Benjamin, who, once again, if you don't know, dear listener, Benjamin, his death is legitimately one of the, like, so tragic. And it's, it's so, it's such a hopeless death as well. And I find it endlessly inspiring to read that man's work and as far as we can tell he remained hopeful until his very end and i i don't know i uh... hopeful and passionate i, I yeah. think right he he remained in paris far far beyond it was reasonable like his friends his colleagues everyone's like get the fuck out get the <laughs> yeah. fuck out but he he couldn't he had to stay with his books with his libraries to to continue his research on on Baudelaire, on Paris, on modernism, mm -hmm. and so on, and, and building that to for the reasons he did, for the purpose he did in this facing off of the world, and even when the situation became extreme, he he fled and unsuccessfully. Uh, but it is it is a level of commitment to <laughs> a level of commitment to to an academic work that is uh, beyond me even to, to the point that I aspire to, to that level of like, no, this is as important and as vital as my life in a sense. Um, I'm sure he, he didn't want to sacrifice himself, but it was almost there. And to, to try and bring some of the, all those points together, I, I feel like uh, the point about failure and that melancholia, it's, you can ask a question out of the many questions you can ask yourself and in your thoughts. Uh, what does communism smell like? <laughs> and your rhetoric will tell you failure. Uh, <laughs> but it's not meant to discourage. I think like it's it's exactly as you've been saying, Kyle. It's it's impossible, but that's all the more reason to insist upon it. <laughs> it is absurd. It is alienating from the people and the environment around you. But that that effect which is which makes you sad which makes you the sad cop um is the only one i feel that truly humanizes you that truly makes you connect or, or try to connect with the people around you and fail and continue to fail 
and, and keep trying and keep insisting. Uh, it's not really failing upwards, but it is failing continuously. It's, it, it's failing to fail again and failing a little better, a little better, a little better, a little worse, terribly, but continuing to stay there. Um, I do feel that in... Uh, to, to, to bring this up, I, I was wondering when to bring this, but you're, you're mentioning, uh, Leon, about Harry Dubois' history and, and the Benjamin. It's, I think it's crucial because uh, on, on the concept of history, one of his many theses, there is the big famous one about the angel of history. The angel of history with his... Uh, he looks backwards at the, the tritus of history being piled up as the winds of heaven or of Eden or of paradise, of Elysium, um, push <laughs> yeah. his wings forward yeah. uh, or his wings open. And he tries to, to stop and gather up the pieces, uh, but he can't. The wind is too strong and the pile, is too, pile of debris is too high. And I, I feel like it's, no, it's not an accident that at the very end where you meet an alien creature, a cryptid, the Insulindian phasmid, who communica communicates with you, because of course he does, or it does, I don't know, or they do. Um, and amongst many things that they tell you about Revachol, about the, the other person in that island, and about itself, it tells Harry, <laughs> uh, in an extremely not subtle way, about him and, and advice, that woman, uh, a his ex-lover, ex-wife, who knows, that haunts Harry's past. And, and we see that, that specter a few times during the game. And I think briefly before that scene as well, um, that woman, turn from the ruin, turn and go forward, do it for the working class. <laughs> um, and I do, I do feel that the, the, the motivation to do so uh, may vary quite a bit, uh, depending on how you became Harry in the game. But... That turning away, that, that turning forward, that there is the ruin, and the ruin will remain. The ruin will carry on both building and staying behind you and within you. But you have to, to be able to acknowledge that and, in some sense, continue to work forward, really. Uh, that Those ruins, the ruins of Revachol, of Utopia, <laughs> given the, the melancholy of this world that that is where Utopia is not only dead, but has been killed and, you know, brutally uh, beaten up again and again and, and over the head uh, at least a dozen more times. All the same, there are still glimmers. There are still hints that maybe something else, that maybe, maybe in that impossibility, there, there is a, a kind of magic there, a kind of enchantment. Um... I do. I, I was thinking about this beforehand. This, you know, if capitalism disenchanted the world, right? It's all. It made it all rationalized and controllable and knowable. Then what? Uh, what clearer form to to break that apart than not just the the odd voices in your head and the one that seems to know a little bit too much, but also this weird creature that, in a sense, knows your greatest specter haunting you and tells you that you need to you need to deal with it and need to carry on despite it through it um 
there is a at the very end of the game as well you you wake up and there's this massive graffiti in the floor it's written in french and i had sport a t-shirt of it that i made a friend do um yes it's it's very cool uh, <laughs> uh the, the listener you can't see it but uh the, the my friends here do and it is one day i will return to you and we'll return to your side yeah exactly and i i feel like there there could be several ideas to take that but it's talking about that revolution. It's talking about that utopia, about that dream, about that building, about a future in in all broad senses. Because for all that we see, for all little that we can do in this game, it's uh, it's not great. Pretty pretty bleak, pretty dark, pretty bad. Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean it's all gone. Far from it. Uh, it's ah, it's so all embedded and interconnected. That it's all meaningful. It, there's very little in this game, even the terrible stuff. That's like, oh, this is unimportant. Yes, it is unimportant, and that's why it's so crucial. That's why it, it continues to be brought in, resignified, and and made important, even if it's just you stopping to to sing a sad song in a decrepit bar. <laughs> it's really funny because you and I just finished uh, Max Payne Three, which is the anti-disco Elysium. Mm. Uh, because there, what reminded me of what you said is that the alcoholism, for instance, that is both present in both those games, never is it played in Disco Elysium for cheap sensationalism. It's dire, it's bad, and it's serious, it's real. It reflects the real in so many ways. Whereas in Max Payne, it absolutely doesn't. And is there just as, once again, it's purely sensationalist, bleak, empty, and rotten. It's, it's I don't know. I, I find, I, I just realized that Harry Dubois and Max Payne kind of, our antithesis of each other. I don't know. Maybe once again, we'll, we will write something about that, but, um, oh, fuck. What was I? Um, but yeah, uh, so many things, everything is so meaningful. And I was reminded that besides whether or not, I don't know, uh, whether or not Harry Dubois actually history, I don't know. But what I do find very interesting does is that Kim is also a very Benjaminian figure in my humble opinion. Um, he is what Benjamin, I believe calls in concept of history. Uh, the chronicler, uh, someone who tries to interact with history from his neutral point of view. He, because mm-hmm. Kim says as much, like, I don't care about politics, I just care about facts. And Kim, <laughs> Kim's final moment, the final moment of the game, is literally him trying to present facts neutrally, but doesn't. Because at this point, he either hates you or loves you, and thus he has to interact seriously with this history, this accumulation of facts, which is the facts about Harry Dubois. Uh, like, he either spins it in a way like, well, you yeah, know, he's... <laughs> the guy's a fucking imbecile, but he's such a good detective, though. And like, he, he gives <laughs> this really nice little speech at the end because he finally embraces interacting personally with the facts, with the history, with the so forth and so on. And I, I don't know, I found, once again, found it beautifully, very Benjaminianly done in so many ways. Yeah, he does try and kind of overcome this, like, in the theses and the philosophy of history, Benjamin is in large, largely positioning himself um, as a critic of a kind of historicism that was popular um, around that time in the early 20th century, before the, like, new historicism of, what, Lynn Hunt, 1978 or uh, yeah. 1980. Um, um, 
the sort of post Foucaultian historicist, but like, um, and he talks about the way of like overcoming this. He talks about like not looking at history, not going through history through this sort of like pure, you know, point A, point B causal sense, like yeah. not like, like the beads on a rosary is what he says, but instead oh, yeah. uh, um, imagining a historical period as a constellation in relation to other sort of definite periods that came before it, which has this like, which is, you know, a kind of like a uh, Hegelian position that was being negotiated by people like him and Lukács um, around mm-hmm. that sort of interwar period and into World War II. Um, but that is like, I think kind of just the prime challenge of history, really. I can hear a baby yeah. stirring, so I'm going <laughs> to get toward my, uh, um, try and wind yeah. up. Uh, <laughs> for, for a big one um no uh i i think that's a it's the challenge of writing history in that way is that the um those sort of causal nodes um can can be politicized in a way but it requires a configuring new ideas and images from the what you were both talking about from the ruin of history history imagined as this from if if we can achieve the ultimate outside perspective as some kind of entity it's being constantly propelled forward and looking back on a giant pile of rubble um but one of the other central figures of benjamin's thought as he was writing about paris and as he was sort of like you know, em- embracing a certain perspective on Paris that was um, cognizant of the um, cultural, French cultural moments from the 19th century. There's the idea of a, an urban poet in the flaneur as this sort of like both observer of uh, contemporaneity while also demonstrating the causes of that same contemporaneity, in this case, capitalism embodied in a observant figure that i heard someone or read someone describe one time i believe as an amateur detective so (laughs) i think we're on to something yeah um but especially because there's this idea that like i i've expanded on this in my own sort of work and thought to include you know i worked with the homeless for a long time and that was sort of like my primary like I got into it because I was raised Christian and that was one of the only things you could do that I actually enjoyed. And then I just worked for a nonprofit for a little while and I made a lot of friends who are, you know, contemporary hobos, if you will, <laughs> like who have this like really unique perspective on the way they walk through our environments differently. They see their environment differently and they construct this sort of imagination from the position of what I have sort of kind of described as a greatly injured position. <laughs> um, they're like, they're sort of like socially injured. They're injured greatly because it's a, their, their injury reflects back onto the social world as a way, uh, as a subjectivizing position, the social world put them in a, in a position that reflects that same position back to them in sort of like, that's what it means to be homeless is, 
in the United States, and particularly a reflection of the values of the United States that put you there in the first place, which is an, a, a sort of ultra-liberal position in mm-hmm. the classical sense that Disco Elysium talks about so well, again, because Europeans understand the definition of liberal (laughs) 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 or non-Americans, I should say, Hmm. understand the more, you know, concrete definition of liberal thought, which is very much about sort of like, what, what does it mean to be, be liberated as an, from an individual position or as the result of an individual position and how that can have an effect on the way that, um, people make decisions in economies and then those economies can then be structured in a particular way. But that does turn back into a kind of, you know, people express that social position in their day-to-day lives. And in the case of the United States, they, this sort of like laissez-faire social position constructs its own, the things that it's afraid of. Um, But anyways, this is all just to say that like, there's these kind of figures in culture are absolutely reflective of our contemporary moment because there's always this kind of like kernel of like like this kind of like observational miracle that exists from certain margins or in certain sort of like positions in capitalism or you know just as a person that like this kind of like the rock bottom position, if we think of it as a marginal position, right? Alcoholism, um, failure to wake up and go to your job on time. The things that happen after like great social tragedy that don't let, that cause people to not like live their lives in a way that the social world is like, you know, that that they can't function as people are supposed supposed to function in regular society. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes that, inability to be a person is directly causal to the society that is, you know, placing that them in that particular position. Criminality um, is sort of the angle that I think about there. But like, I, 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 I guess what I mean is that what I like about Disco Elysium is that it doesn't apologize for being mean to you. No, <laughs> it doesn't coddle you. It doesn't romanticize. It, no, in no ways does it romanticize all of the stuff that even it openly admits to you in sort of narrative form that it believes in. Like, you know, screw authorial intent. We don't need the authorial <laughs> intent to interpret like the politics of the game. It states it as such, and it states it in such a real and relatable and understandable way that it's hard to look away from. I've been thinking about it for years <laughs> since we first encountered it and everyone was passing it around. Like, have you played Disco Elysium? It was a meme. Yeah. And kind of like lefty internet, like, you know, you need to play Disco Elysium. I had like four people at once pressuring me to play the game, and I'm so glad <laughs> that they did because they were right. It's such an important text um, yeah. that, yeah, I just, you know, it's a really remarkable thing to encounter, I think. And I could talk about it for days and days. But, uh, then we might as well end it here because Kyle needs to go, and I want to respect that. Uh, and this is also a game I can keep on talking about forever, so oh, might, yeah, as well, we, we so uh, <laughs> might as well uh, call it here. Um, any, unless you have something to say. Leon? I, sorry. I should no, any final it. thoughts? I, I'll, I can go last. Go on, go on. No, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that it, it's a game that punishes you, that pushes you into pure misery, but it doesn't... 
I think even when it mocks you, it is aware of what it is and where it is to the point that it's like, yeah, you're miserable, but so am I. So is Revachol. So is everyone else. And that is all the more reason to not be alone. At the end of the day, what you do most is interact with people, talk to people, be in society. And your your only friend, your greatest friend, or your greatest enemy, but if, you, if you're a good human being, your greatest friend, Detective Kim Kitsuragi is, is who it, it matters, right? It, it is that ending. It is that significance of being with him and being that partner. Sure, it is law enforcement. Sure, it is under those structures, but he still respects you and tolerates you while you very much feel and look clinically insane <laughs> and very much in need of rest, therapy, medication, and so on. Yeah. But he will be there, and he is there, and he will have your back if you will have his. And in a sense, I suppose that is one of the... Through, through the misery, through the pain, through the ruins, we're not alone, and we shouldn't be. All right, thank you so much. And thank you so much uh, for listening, dear listener. Uh, you can find Kyle at uh, at ACAP or whatever. How about you do that part, Kyle? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you should listen to All Gamers Are Bastards, a podcast oh, yeah. about video games, but where we mostly talk about movies. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, true. If you're not a gamer... As our listeners have said, it's only tangentially actually about video games, so you'll be fine. Um, yeah, you can find me at Labor Kyle on things, but uh, Agab is where is where the magic is currently happening. It's um, it's so good. Go listen. Go listen to it. It is. I, I it love is. every Thank single episode. Are you guys still going to talk about prisons, or is that are we entering a new stage? Can we? We are, uh, have put a um, pin in that some, as something we may revisit. And are considering other themes um, as well as um, um, ways to uh, get more episodes out more frequently. We're going to oh, talk yeah. about ROM, ROM hacks. Oh, sick. Um, something we talked about in the our Best Games of 2023 episode that um, uh, if you're an AGAP listener and you're listening to this, listener, I heard you. Um, <laughs> you you have made, I had several people message me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to do that. So. Thank yeah, you. lots of goodies coming, I think. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you so much, everyone. And you can find us at Patreon slash page if you deem us worthy of any kind of support. And please take care of you and that really large pale cloud that's approaching us. Good luck. Good luck.